our supporter. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. Okay, City Limits on air at last, uh, 9.14. <laughs> and we'll explain what happened. We, um, I managed to lose my key to the studio a couple of years ago. And there's the Bricky Show, there's no team at the moment. And when we got here this morning, there was no one in the building and no one had a key. So we had to wait for a staff member to arrive to get into the building, which is why there's been this delay. We've all been out the front. Community panicking. radio, eh? That's right, community radio. Um, so Screaming into the ether, but it didn't really help. That explains <laughs> that, explains that but we... I, I, someone pointed out to me, perhaps I should have got my key replaced when I lost it, which is true. Um, I'm going to pour some tea while we're talking. But it's City Limits Day. It's the first Wednesday of the month. It's uh, therefore Transport Day. Emma Warren's pressing buttons over there. Mark Allen's here. John McPherson, our regular transport commentator's here. I'm Kevin Healy. I'm here, believe it or not. And um, I'm pouring tea. It's not quite next to the mic today, but I hope you can hear it. And um, our new big pot. And uh, we're going to, in a minute or so, we won't waste a lot of time on general on the usual no, stuff we go on about. We'll, yep. We're going to have Steve Jolly on uh, in a couple of minutes, actually. He's the, I think a lot of people know, he's socialist um, councillor in the city of Yarra. <laughs> and recently there's been a, a controversy around Yarra about the... Um, the South Vietnamese flag uh, and the South Vietnamese community want to, um, or the Vietnamese community want to be able to fly the South Vietnamese flag, which, as we might recall, was the one that actually lost, even though modern readings of the Herald Sun, particularly, would you wouldn't think we actually lost the when war. When I say we, I use Australia, we yeah. actually thought we'd won the war at the end of it. But the, we, we backed the other side, of course, against the invasion. But, um, but anyway, that's uh, so it's there's an issue currently in Yarra and. Um, uh, Tim Wilson, the Human Rights Commissioner, who's now a Liberal Member of Parliament, has come out and attacked Yarra for uh, if it gives in to communist uh, governments that are trying to influence what's <laughs> happening in Australia, you know, having invaded the place and lost. It's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to have Steve on in a minute, so that's, that's that. Um, just on uh, those sort of people, I, I thought it was interesting. And remember last week we saw uh, Jackie Lambie get stuck into, into Corey Bernardi, um, and um, she called him a, um, she described him as uh, as a, what, a, uh, an angry prostitute. Then she apologised to prostitutes. And <laughs> Senator, Senator Bernardi came out this week and said, uh, it's, um, it's, he's too thick to pay attention to, and it's like dumber and dumber. I thought, well, seeing there's two of them, Bernardi and her, um, Dumber and Dumber probably sums it up. Sums it up. Yeah. 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 I noticed she so went Corey to. Corey was spot on, really. She went to the midwinter of bull. This is um, Senator Lambie with um, uh, Darren and Darren. Yes, yeah, they've made quite yes, a couple. Yeah, yes, quite wow. a little couple anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Gossip there. Uh, that one. And I just thought on a on a positive note, it's worth mentioning, and then we won't go any further than this. Um, then we'll go to Steve, but. Um, uh, Wilson Security, which um, is a you know company that does all sorts of things, including driving ambulances these days, I notice they're running a lot of ambulances as well. Uh, and they've been, of course, doing the security on Manus and Nauru. 
uh, with broad spectrum, the company and the new Spanish owners, Ferrovial, have taken over. Now, they, they said from the outset they're not going to renew the contract. The government has, under the, under the terms, extended it to October next year. Mm-hmm. But Wilson have now said they'll withdraw or not apply either because, of course, there's been massive protests against them and all sorts of things. So they're actually in the mm. – that was a story to pull out. But then two days later, at least this Monday in the Financial Review, the headline was – Activist pressure on detention centres hits contractors, and uh, even G45, the mob that are, have actually had to pay out 1.6 million in claims for injuries when they held Mattis Island, um, they're not going to apply either. So uh, the the activist campaign's working pretty well. There's not too many companies anxious to take it over, which might be interesting. Next yeah, year. interesting. Mm. Not so good. Space. Good might to force see the government to do something humanitarian. Good to see a campaign what? working, isn't it? <laughs> just uh, having mentioned Cordy, but Cory Bernardi, etc. Also, there was just uh, just a headline worth noting. I thought in the Financial Review last Friday, it's just leading up to the G20 in China. And the headline was, PM warns G20 on low global growth. And I thought, all those world um, purveyors of capitalism and the capitalists themselves listening to, to Malcolm Turnbull in China, wouldn't they have hung on his every word, don't you think? Um, mm-hmm. you know, yep. He's a very influential man, is oh, Mr Turnbull. Obviously, yeah. Mm. They will be sitting there saying, who's this bloke? Um, They'll be wondering when we next have a new prime minister. We're due for a new prime minister in about a year's time, I think. Oh, we have someone oh. at the door. Okay. Uh, and it's quite possible it means Steve's on the line. He is on the line. Oh, uh, good, okay. Should we put him on? Brilliant. Yeah, let's put him on the line. Okay, Steve. <laughs> uh, okay, so today, live radio, we couldn't get into the studio to start off with and now um, getting the recorded message. But thanks, Steve, for calling back. Hi, good morning. How are you? Um, Steve Jolly, of course, I mentioned earlier, but Steve is the Socialist Party, uh, not candidate, he's Party Party Councillor for a number of years now in the city of Yarra. And Steve, just recently um, there's been an issue around the Vietnamese flag. Can you explain what's going on? Just to be pedantic, um, I left the Socialist Party seven months ago over a sexual scandal, um, and um, and now I'm a Socialist scandal. A whole bunch of us left because of what happened there. Um, so we're now I'm, I, I describe myself as a socialist councillor, not a socialist party councillor. I don't want anything to do with that organisation. But um, to come back to your question, yeah, well, a bunch of people, um, Vietnamese people who identify with the old South Vietnamese regime, and uh, many of whom live in Richmond, but also throughout Melbourne, actually, asked us to fly the old South Vietnamese flag, which is the yellow flag with the three um, horizontal red stripes um, on the town hall on Vietnam Veterans Day um, in, on June the 9th next year. So that was the, that was the call from these people. Mm. And, and what's happened? I mean, I, the, I, noted, I just noticed in a story in the Herald Sun, I'm presuming they got it correct for once, they say the council has officially recognised the flag as a community flag, but it has not determined where and how it should be flown. What, what's happening there? Well, um, on the first issue, they did. They voted 8-1 to do that. I was... I mean, the thing is that this is the flag of a regime, uh, a right-wing dictatorship propped up by American imperialism, a regime mm. that doesn't exist anymore, a regime that was quite brutal um, and wants to stop getting the lifeline of the aid from the U.S. in the early 70s. It collapsed in no time. Um, yes. I mean, so, the um, names that come to mind are General GM, uh, Air Vice Marshal Key and other villains who uh, were the American puppets in that period. Well, that's right. Look, if people want to, you know, I, I, I accept the fact that some people identify with that flag and they've got the right, in my view, to fly that flag on their homes and the businesses when they have a march down the street. I believe 
in their free expression. Um, and it's unlike, say, for example, the swastika or the Confederate flag. It's not really pissing anybody off. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's just something that they identify with. And good luck to them. I've got no problem with that. I've been to many restaurants in Richmond and had a lovely meal at places where they should fly that flag out the front. But to put it on top of the town hall um, on a day that's supposed to commemorate the dead um, in the Vietnam War, which uh, and only to fly that one flag would be unbelievable. Can you imagine if you celebrated or commemorated the American Civil War but only flew the Confederate flag? Well, I mean, I think Afro-Americans wouldn't be very happy with you. Um, you know, lots of people died in Vietnam, in particular civilians. And it was all, it's also disrespectful to those who fought against the Vietnam War here in Australia and elsewhere in the world. Mm back in the day. So um, that was the argument. Um, so the majority of the councillors agreed that it was their, I think, uh, their sort of symbolic flag. I think that it is for some of people in Vietnam that live in, from Vietnam that live in Australia, not all of them. And then we voted as to whether or not to fly it. Four, four councillors wanted to fly it on the day that I said before. Five of us, including me, voted for, um, if you like, a compromise position. I would have liked to have gone further, but I wouldn't have got the numbers, um, which was to um, review the flag policy um, because obviously, you know, I'm in favour of flying flags for countries that don't yet exist, like Western Sahara. Um, um, and um, I've pushed quite hard on council for that to happen. And every their independence day, they fly that flag. You know, they, they, would, they would be independent. They fly that flag every year at Richmond Town Hall. Um, so they're going to review flag policy. And after that, we'll then have another vote on this matter. So in a sense, it was defeat for those who wanted us to fly the flag immediately. Mm. Uh, that flag immediately at the town hall or any of the towns, the three town halls at Yarra. The Tony Abbott's appointment to the Human Rights Commission, um, Tim Wilson, who's now a, a, a Liberal Party MP in Victoria as of that election, he came out and said it would be disgraceful if you refuse the community's request. It is grossly inappropriate that the Vietnamese embassy seeks to extend the reach of its socialist principles and request a council silence a community of Australians. How, how do you respond to that? I mean, this guy's just a hypocrite. If, if we were to fly the red flag... Um, on Richmond Town Hall. He would be jumping up and down like he had a, a grenade in his anus, you know? I mean, like, that that's the reality of it is. But when it comes to Vietnam, Vietnamese flag, he, he thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. These people have got no um, credibility, and, you know, we're not listening to we're not li- li- listening to him at all. It's just nonsense, you know? And he also, of course, you know, desperately fights for our right to insult and offend people um, as well. Um, yeah, when it suits yeah. him. Uh, yeah. But then, as, some, as Jeff Sparrow wrote in The Guardian this week, but when it comes to, um, you know, workers on strike because they've had a 65% reduction in their pay, calling the technically correct term of the people who've taken their jobs as scabs, then um, then apparently that's a, that's a tremendous uh, thing, a, a tremendously bad thing to do. So these people are totally hypocrites. Yes, the court ruled that way last week. I uh, mentioned it on the week that was, actually. I praise the court for that. Um, but, um, the irony about all of this is that, you know, him, uh, the Human Rights Commissioner, called Vietnam a communist regime and all the rest of it, but Vietnam is rapidly moving towards the reintroduction of capitalism. Vietnam is locking step with Australia mm. in America in its anti-China alliance in the in the East Asian region and is, uh, you know, undertaking joint military, military movers with the American military, with the Australian military, uh, Japanese and all the rest of it uh, against China. So these people are living in the past. Um, and that's the reason why we had this bizarre situation last week where Yarra Council received a letter from a liberal federal government saying, please don't fly an anti-communist South Vietnamese flag. Fly, if you're going to fly a flag, 
you know, the red star of North Vietnam, of Vietnam, I should say. So, I mean, if you just looked at it purely through the prism of ideology, you would be totally confused. Mm. You've got to look at it through the prism of geopolitical realities of the of 2016. And um, and that's why we got that request from the federal government, which I've never had before. It returned town hall a letter from the, you know, from the liberals in, in Canberra uh, but, saying, no, 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 please fly the Socialist Republic of Vietnam flag. So, so in fact, Steve, just to Vietnam clarify that, say the federal government's written to you, the count, you, the council, uh, saying fly the, the the Vietnamese flag, the official yeah, Vietnamese well, flag. Saying that you shouldn't, but, fly, shouldn't fly the South Vietnamese flag. And Tim um, Wilson, we've got cordial relations with the Vietnamese Socialist Republic of Vietnam, and uh, and you know, so so I think that for your listeners, you've got to you know, you've got to wade through and scratch away the surface of these um, mm. n- names that people give themselves and look at the, the reality of it behind, you know, what's behind so, that. So what Tim Wilson's saying is contrary to what his government's saying. Correct. Well, there you are. Isn't that interesting? Um, yes, and of course, we've also, in recent times, um, with the Nui Dat uh, 50th anniversary, etc., uh, uh, we're, we're seeing history being revised, aren't we? I, I, at the time, I thought that we, we the, the people who fought against the Americans and Australians at the time, had won the war, but it now seems the Americans and their puppets in Australia won that war, Steve, looking at recent uh, coverage in the Herald Sun in particular. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, um, the, uh, the 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 winners of the war, are the ones who were flying the flag in Vietnam, and um, and I think the losers were the Vietnamese civilians um, and 500 odd Australians who died, and the tens of thousands of soldiers from all over the world who died. It was a mm. it was a tragedy, and um, you know, and I just think that you know, it's it's good that we commemorate those who died, but sometimes we forget about commemorating those who fought against the war here in. Australia and all over the world, who saved so many lives of our own people, of our own soldiers, but also of civilians in Vietnam. And they're as much heroes as some poor digger who died mm. in the killing fields of Vietnam in my book. Well, I would have thought while they're praising the Vietnam vets that the teenagers and 20-year-olds who refused to go to that war, and many of them went to jail, um, are far greater heroes in my eyes. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. Um, you know, there's, there's some tremendous... Um, Heroes in, in that light as well. So, so if we're going to commemorate the dead and the heroes and the wounded of Vietnam, there's a whole range of people that we should be commemorating and celebrating. Um, and just to simply fly the flag of the South Vietnamese dictatorship alone and nothing else just seems to me quite bizarre. As I said before, imagine celebrating the American Civil War and only flying the Confederate flag. I don't think Afro-Americans would be very happy with that. It would be obviously you'd be making a statement, a political statement, by doing that. Mm. And I think we would be doing the same if we only flew the South Vietnamese flag to commemorate the, uh, the dead of, and, and wounded and, and, and heroes of, um, of the Vietnam struggle. Yeah. Okay, it's ongoing. We'll keep in touch with it, Steve. But just one other thing, and I know you're interested in the union movement as well. You mentioned about the... Uh, the court ruling that you can't call a scab a scab anymore, apparently. Um, I notice um, a construction organiser, um, a, a CFMEU organiser, um, it was in Canberra, got, got fined $1,000 and put on a two-year good behaviour bond because as a fair work building and construction inspector walked onto the Barangaroo site in Sydney, he grabbed the megaphone and sang, who let the dogs out? Now, that's, that's a pretty heinous crime, isn't it? Well, this is this is the thing, you know, and you don't see, uh, uh, you know, the right wing media complaining about saying that, that that there was denial of free speech and so on. Um, it's absolutely 
simply using the rule book and twisting it and analysing it in any way, that shape or form, that will destroy unions. And the reason they want to destroy unions is they want to drive down wages and conditions. The, the Australian CFMEU have won the best conditions and the best wages, the highest wages of any construction workers on the planet. They should be getting medals, not being victimised. And, um, and that's why they've got so much support out there. And sure, it's a rough and tumble industry and you get, you know... No, no one's no one's saying that everybody at all times acts in you know like you know talks with the Queen's English, but the fact of the matter is, um, if you're going to be a construction worker, be one in Australia, and the reason for that is the CFMU. Mm. Okay, so we're going to wind up there. I'm going to transport with John McPherson. But are you running for council again? Yeah, I'm up for a fourth term. Okay, well, good luck. Good on you, Steve. <laughs> good we'll luck be, with us. We'll be voting for you. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Radio, thank you for time, Steve. Thanks a lot. Okay, Steve Jolly there, the, the socialist council at least. I mm. didn't realise that mm. that had that. It, anyway, yep, yep. whatever happened, I don't know. But yep. um, anyway, he's oh no, kind no, of, no, Steve's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. um, he um, he he uh, definitely improves the mix down at the city of Yarra, I think, and um, causes questions to be asked that would never be asked by um, the uh, mainly Green and ALP and mm. councillors. Yeah. Yeah, right. Look, let's take a quick break, come back, and we'll talk to you, John, about transport, including a new report about country trains you want to talk about. Yes, indeed. Okay. Rail Futures. Right, that was Mia Dyson, Precious Thing. We played it a couple of weeks ago, but we love it in here. Beautiful song. I love that song, yeah. Yes, Mark's falling in love with that one. Um, and she is good, though, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she is. She, <laughs> she is, is good, yes. Okay, that's it. Okay, John McPherson's good, too. He's We're laughing away. Thoroughly in agreement here. It's it's thirty. See, it's 9.37. John should be shaking by now. No, I'm totally relaxed this oh, morning. This it's wonderful. It's been such a mess. Already. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, was, when you put it that way, yeah. Look, why don't we just play some music, go on? <laughs> that's it. Thank that's you, it. audience. It's, it's been lovely it, knowing yeah. you. Next week's uh, next week's. Uh, not much this week, though. Uh, anyway, John, um, yeah, you did want to talk about a mm. report that's come out looking at country. Yeah, it's a, yeah, just for just for a change from you know concentration on metropolitan things, which there are always plenty to concentrate on. But yeah, um, there's a rail, a, a rail. It's a group of um, uh, many of them are retired people f- with ex- lots of experience in the transport sector. And they've got a group together called Rail Futures, and they're a ginger group, and they've been writing various reports, you know, trying to trying to prod government and government officials, doesn't matter which side of politics, both sides of politics, to do a more progressive, more um, you know, forward-looking job with um, particularly rail-based public transport. And uh, so the group's called Rail Futures, and this report was launched quite. Um, prominently on Monday uh, by uh, Tim Fisher, who's, um, um, you know, former Deputy Prime Minister, but also a rail mm. a rail aficionado of some note. And um, the report is called uh, Intercity Rail for Victoria or something like that. And if you want to read the report, which is pretty good, mm. you can find it at railfutures.org.au and at Intercity Rail. Um, and uh, yeah, trying to trying to sketch roughly what they say. Basically, it's saying that okay, the population of Melbourne's predicted to double by about the um, 2050s, and we can't allow all that growth to go on in Melbourne. Some of it has got to be spread out to the other big cities across Victoria, and Victoria's got a unique 
um, place in Australia in that we've got some already decent-sized cities, you know, Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo are the biggies, but there are other others who are a bit mm. smaller but have potential like Shepparton. Sale, maybe. Yeah, down there yeah, in the Latrobe Valley, yeah, 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 yeah. That all could all could be the basis for big expansions in their populations. But how then the, then the question is, well, how do you link all these places together so that they can all work work well together and um, these other cities can be attractive places to work? And the answer is, well, rail can actually end up providing you with faster transport links than you can you can have on roads, even on the best motorways. You can do better with rail. And the magic about Victoria is that the distances aren't too great, and it's possible to link all these cities together. I mean, it's only 100 miles or 160 kilometres to Bendigo. It's um, only about um, um, 100 kilometres to Ballarat. You know, things like that. And of course, Geelong's even closer. So the potential's there to link all these cities together well and uh, uh, as a basis for spreading out some of the population growth. So the report goes into, well, what, what could you do, what would you need to do to, uh, to upgrade the present lines or build new lines to um, provide the sort of services that you would need? And basically, the, the idea would be to improve the Victorian rail system to a le level that probably Europe has achieved already with plenty of trains running at 200 kilometres an hour between cities that are pretty close and you probably wouldn't have to go any faster than 200 kilometres an hour um, and that that's achievable on upgraded tracks but if you want to go to 300 kilometres an hour like you would want to do for an east coast high speed rail between Melbourne and Sydney well that's a different that's a different kettle of fish and you would have to build a completely new new line but if you were just looking at the victorian situation you can you can on the whole upgrade present present lines so the report is discussing what can be done how it could mm. be done economically well and they're not talking a radial system where everything comes and goes from melbourne they, these <coughs> cities are going to each other as well well they, I mean, they would like yeah. to do that too yes yes and they were examining the idea of a of a, of, a, of a line connecting Geelong to Ballarat mm. to Bendigo, that sort of thing as well. I think that well, really yeah. needs to happen. We can't yeah. keep having Mandadoreens forever. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's <laughs> right. Expanding ever outwards. Yeah, well, that, well that's right. And, but it makes mm. me wonder, though, how much of a dent in the population mm. growth this, mm. will, this will do. Mm. Because mm. there's only a finite amount that these cities can, can grow by. And mm. if you look at Geelong and Bendigo and Ballarat, for example, since 2011... Mm -hmm. The population growth of those three cities has just absorbed 15 weeks worth of Victoria's overall population growth between Over how many years? since 2011 until until the present. Mm. So right now, um, while there's a big drive to say that we should be encouraging population growth in the regional cities, obviously it, it's it's minimal, it's neg negligible in terms of stopping the urban sprawl mm. and the dog boxes in the sky that's going on in the inner, inner suburbs. Mm. Mm. So we, we question, okay, so we're going to create high-speed rail, and the idea, I suppose, the main idea would be that people would commute, that make more cities more easily commutable to Melbourne, which is a good thing, but it's not going to ease the congestion and the pressure of people coming in and out of Melbourne every day. And then if we say, well, we're going to try and create jobs in these cities, that's fine, 
but there needs to be a real concrete plan in place to show how that's going to be done, mm -hmm. where the money is going to come from, who's going to run that, because there's been many plans in the past in Australia to decentralize, and none of them have come to anything at yep. all. Yep. So mm. I'm a bit skeptical that this might just be another kind of feel-good ploy to ignore what's going on in Melbourne at the moment, which is the, the suburban sprawl and the mm. deliberate high population growth. I, th I think these guys are sincere. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, okay. I th I'm sure they are sincere, and I'm sure they're doing everything they can to deal with the situation. And they're certainly not saying that you don't need a whole other suite of yeah. suite mm. of um, um, and policies mm. and plans to go with it. They definitely are. Sure. Um, and they, I think they'd freely admit that, that this, what they're proposing is only, you know, part of the whole, yep. the whole thing. Yep. But I think they're trying to argue that, that Victoria has got the potential, maybe better than anywhere else in Australia, oh, to does. actually do yeah. that. It does, yeah. and, it, and I agree, it does mm. need to happen. Mm. I mean, we do need to have high-speed rail between these, these mm. cities mm. and these mm. towns, and, and it's not that difficult, as you say. We've got a lot of the infrastructure there already, mm. and I think it's great that they're doing that. So I'm not... I'm not having a dig at Rail no, Futures, no. and I know people involved in Rail Futures, and they're, they're all good people. But I do, I do just also want to emphasise that if we want to deal with the issue of urban sprawl yes. in Melbourne, we yes. have to, yes. we have to take a much more wider approach, and we have to look at the bigger picture mm. because it's things like this, these kind of carrot on a stick things that can sometimes distract us from the bigger picture, which is this kind of. But also forever, upgraded, yeah. upgraded rail links between the, some of those cities, particularly. Um, the west of the state, mm. so your northwest, Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong, the, those three yeah. big cities, yeah. that could also uh, facilitate better movement of some of the agricultural freight, couldn't it? Yeah, well, mm. well, I mean, the, 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 on the whole, the the freight links are are in place. Um, they might might be the wrong gauge at the moment, mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there doesn't there seems to be very little government push to encourage more freight onto rail. Mm. There seems to be this very relaxed thing, you know, spend hundreds of millions on upgrading the freight lines and suddenly the rail freight will be there. Well, it won't be mm. if it's still cheaper to, to cart the stuff by truck. Yeah. Mm. Um, and again, nobody nobody seems to really um, know how to uh, put real policies in place to, uh, you know, force these sort of moves that, that mm. have to happen for a whole lot of reasons, mm. including climate change. Yes. Well, that's right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the ra rail rail is certainly more energy efficient than you know having everything on roads. So for, even for rail passengers, of course, you'd rather have people on the train than on driving their car if you want to if you want to reduce um, reduce carbon carbon emissions, etc., mm. etc. Et uh, yeah. So yeah. So the rail the rail uh, future thing I think is is well worth a look. Mm, definitely. Um, and they're arguing that you need a new um, route in from the um, sort of north of the city that would include a um, fast link to the airport but would also um, divert the Bendigo line trains via the airport and yeah. the uh, trains from the northeast Victoria from Seymour and um, um, Shepparton and uh, Albury would, um, would also divert via the airport. And I think what they're proposing is a, is a fairly long rail tunnel from mm. some point into the into the city from that direction. Mm. One of their main arguments is that um, the the capacity of the metropolitan rail system simply won't be sufficient to carry the the sort of train trains that you need from the from the country. 
from no. the regional areas, mm. as well as the uh, metro, the metro trains, and the, mm. that that will be an issue. Um, it's been addressed to some degree by the new line that's been built, the RRL, the regional rail link, in from um, Sunshine to the city. That's that's addressed the issue to to a degree from the west, but um, in time, the issue will arise from Geelong, where possibly it'll need a new rail mm. tunnel. Uh, from somewhere near Newport in the west, mm. under the river and coming in through F- Fisherman's Bend, mm. Um, mm. but also from the from the Gippsland direction, um, there's going to be an issue arise there as well. Mm. Does it arise? I was thinking of that because you got the now got the Geelong one and they can go through Sunshine, mm. but um, from the east to the train to the train still get caught up in the metropolitan region. Oh yes, they do. Yeah, 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 they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the uh, metro trains, are, you know, run from as far out as Pakenham. So, mm. so um, the, yeah. um, the the trains from Latrobe Valley and Tralgon and so on are caught caught up there, in amongst the um, peak hour trains, and the mm. um, the Skyrail thing that's being built down the Gippsland corridor um, to get rid of all the level a lot of the level crossings. Mm. Unfortunately, that's being built without necessarily making all the allowance they should or could make. For two more tracks, for the extra lines, yeah. for, for extra tracks in yeah. the future. So they're not planning ahead. No, and that's one thing. Again, rail futures point out that mm. they're, they're really being rather, um, rather restrictive in their uh, in their planning. That's mm. that's a real shame. Yes, it yeah. is, and it, it is something that has happened in Department of Transport rail planning over the last twenty years that I've been observing. Yeah. There's been this tendency to refuse to look at the long. Yeah, mm. the long just long future. They, mm. They've said, "Well, it'll work for the next ten, fifteen years. Mm. That's all we're going to look at." And mm. as we know, retrofitting infrastructure is a lot more complicated mm-hmm. than putting it in place in the first place. That's right. So it's just mm. it's, it's a ridiculous mm. way of looking at things mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. not thinking about yeah. the long term. It, it simplifies life for the the current generation yeah. of yeah. bureaucrats, of course. And I, I suspect that's why that's yeah. why it's become the approach. Mm. Uh, maybe even politicians quite like it if they don't have to look too far ahead. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? Mm. But these are the sort of things that are going to happen if if, mm. if the city gets, um, you know, if the population growth of Victoria goes on at the rate it's going, which is pretty high, Mark, is it? Very high, yeah. So um, Melbourne's growing by about 1,760 a week as we mm. speak. So it's going to double. I mean, obviously, it took, you know, many, many decades for Melbourne to get to where it is today. And then it's going to double in a very, very short mm. period of time. And at that pace, it's very, very difficult to create the same quality of planning and infrastructure that we got in the slower, mm. slower rate of pop- yeah, population growth. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's a lot of pressure, um, and I'm very concerned that we're going to end up with a city of endless suburbia and very poorly built, cheaply built dog boxes in the sky, which is what's what's unfolding at the moment, mm. you know. Well, that's 3,500 extra listeners a fortnight to this program. Yeah. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. We are going to get more listeners over time, yeah, which is, which yeah, is Kevin's, good. Kevin's got, good. He's, a man of, he's a man of ambition and vision. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Silver lining. <laughs> that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me, John. <laughs> Probably ever. the last. Ever, it's, ever, um, ever, it's, also, ever, ever. it's also good news for Coles and Woolworths and Westfields who benefit massively from urban sprawl, of course, yeah. as well. So. Well, well well, how it looks to me is that we have policy that's simply driven by what the developers want to build. I mean, yeah, well, exactly. They want to build high-rise and they want to build dog boxes. It's mm. it's all part of the growth-based neoliberal paradigm that we're yeah. in, deliberate high population growth that's unsustainable, that feeds into a development industry that, that mm. benefits from from 
dog boxes and and suburban well, sprawl. Well, we've apparently greed. yes. Well, we've apparently you know we've got a, a Labor government that is supposed to look at things a bit more broadly than just the neoliberal paradigm. Ah. But when you get down to it, gee, no. they they have a hard time even telling the telling the developers even nicely to, to, mm. to don't do things. Back off. Well, exactly. Back off, yeah. Exactly. I've lost all faith in Labor governments. Well, they even backed up recently um, legislating for, for at least um, minimum, size. minimum size. Yeah, yeah. minimum size yeah. of apartments. They yeah. just yeah. Make Which things... New South Wales has done a Liberal government. Well, that's right. I mean, the Labor government make things slightly less awful than what the Liberals do. I mean, like the Fisherman's Bend development mm. is now slightly less awful than mm. it was when Matthew Guy was, was mm. in charge yeah. of it. You yeah. know? And but that's, that's as far as they seem to feel they can dare go. Yeah. That's as far oh. as they dare can go. Exactly. But that's comparing Corey Bernardi to Jackie Lambie, isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So let's not get too excited. No, it's not, um, let's not get too excited. But yeah. on on just on construction, etc. There's been a bit of a raging fight in the letters columns between Mary Drost, who's ex Save Our Suburbs now planning backlash, and she's attacking the government over um, over the the metro and the the the. Put, you know, the problems it's going mm. to cause in construction. Um, and she says that London has just completed 42k of tunnel from the west through uh, right through to the east without yep. disrupting the top. And now the stations are being put in with virtually no disruption. Uh, Switzerland has just blasted its way through another mountain but no, hasn't caused this disruption. Yet in Melbourne, the government thinks it has to open cut, throwing our city into chaos for years and destroying buildings. She goes on. Now, there is... The response is yes, and the response is from Evan Tattersall's of the Melbourne, Evan Tattersall from the Melbourne Metro Rail Authority, and he says, um, responding to her, having recently visited the Crossrail project in London, I know these significant works, although carefully managed, have resulted in unavoidable impacts at surface level. I also witnessed the resilience and willingness of Londoners to live with short-term disruption during Crossrail's extended building phase because they recognise the long-term benefits, etc. For the massive city-shaping metro tunnel project, we are committed to working with councils, residents, businesses and our contractors to minimise and manage construction impacts. We will use the latest tunnelling technology and expertise from around the world to deliver a project that is essential to Melbourne's future livability and prosperity. John, comments on those? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm I'm with I'm with um, I'm with him from the um, authority and in, in the thing that yes, you do have to have some some disruption. Of course, you do. Mm. Uh, and in London, Crossrail has been built built very deep because there are so many other rail tunnels already in place. But uh, in Melbourne. It's been able to. They've been able to keep it closer to the surface. Well, mm. obviously, building it closer to the surface makes access once it's built easier. Mm. You don't want to go deep unless you mm. have to, mm. um, and that's part of the reason why, you know, the works at the the domain tunnel will be cut and cut and cover. I think they they're saying, but in fact, the uh, the two stations in the CBD will will really not be cut and cut and cover. They'll be. They'll be, um, but they still need access from the surface, and they'll have mm. to use the present city square, which is going to be chewed up and spat out again mm. as the actually access to the new <laughs> for the hundred and eightieth time. Or something. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose but everybody will say, "Well, thank heavens, Fed- Federation Square seems to be okay. It's not going to be affected." Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's just you know, it, it's just 
inevitable. It happens, and it happens with large road projects as well. Mm. You know, I don't know why, but people don't complain nearly as much about freeway projects. No, they don't, no. Um, mm. Which can be just as disruptive, mm. just as much of a mess. Mm. Do, you, do you think yeah. the, 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 the Metro Rail Tunnel is a good use of our money and resources and time? <laughs> I and get a no, I don't. That's right. This is where I get... It, I think I think it's um, I think unfortunately it wasn't enough enough, enough study didn't go into it. Mm. Um, it's um, when you look at when you look at, um, at the ac- extra access it's going to provide. It's it's not a lot, particularly the south of the river section mm. with just one tunnel at Domain, one one station. I beg your pardon at Domain, is not is not going to provide enough mm. usefulness to really justify it. And the fact that they're ignoring having a tunnel at South Yarra, mm. even if it, that was going to cost, they estimated up to, what, $700 million to the build. The station at South Yarra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you said that, tunnel. Yeah, I did, I beg yeah. your pardon, um, is, is ridiculous because it, it is a main interchange point and you don't build these sort of projects without interchange points wherever you cross another mm. another major um, major route. And that's the, the Sandingham Rail Line and, of course... Not to mention the um, trams, trams in Turk Road and the trams in Church Street. So, you know, not having a t- not having a station there is ridiculous, mm. um, and, and it's become a major hub of um, of um, development as well. Mm. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's even in its own terms, it's not being built as well as it could be. But I I'm suspicious about whether it was really the next thing that they should be doing. Yeah, right. Because there were ways to, to achieve the extra capacity out of the present loop mm. system much, much cheaper. If if they're talking about getting extra capacity in the city for for more trains and bigger trains, they could have adapted the city loop much, much cheaper than this building this completely new metro thing. Mm. That would and have made how, more sense, wouldn't it? Mm. And yeah. how would they have done that, well, adapting the current... Okay, well, the... Um, the, the city loop is a pretty unusual creature in that all the trains rotate around it and, and on the whole go back where they came from. That's very unusual in, in metro terms worldwide. Um, it's almost, it's nearly universal that trains come in one side of the city, stop at a few stations and go out the other side mm. of the CBD and keep going. Yeah. And then, and then if people want to move around the system in the CBD, well, they have to interchange. Um, the idea that all trains will go to a, all of the stations is unusual. Yeah, yeah. So the northern side of the city loop, uh, which is where there are two, tr- there are four tracks on the northern side. There are two, two up and two down platforms on two levels, each with a tunnel on either side. So that could be adapted as two through routes of of, of t- tunnels for trains going in either direction, mm. and. If you run those tra- if you just run trains through the northern side of the loop, so a number of trains just go Richmond, Parliament, Melbourne Central, uh, Flagstaff, North Melbourne, and keep going to mm. the west and back again. Yeah. You just run trains across there, and magically, because those trains don't go over the viaduct, you also gain extra capacity on the viaduct mm. because you can then run trains across the city on the viaduct. Mm. So other trains would just run Richmond, Flinders Street, Southern Cross, North Melbourne, and keep going mm. and reverse. And magically, that nearly goes does goes close to doubling the capacity mm. of that whole yeah. system. Indeed, and you've it, argued before, but yeah. that you, with that you get more capacity than the metro's yeah, going to achieve. Absolutely, mm. yeah, you do. 
yeah, yeah, a fraction yeah. of the price. A fraction of the mm. price. And then you could put that money into like extending the line mm. past South Morang and all well, that. Well, well the thing is that, 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 that doesn't get acknowledged is that so much of the system is not in good shape. No, it's that, not. As it, as it is, because, well, we know how shambolic the operation can be, how yes. a little bit of rain can cause, cause all sorts of things to stop. Absolutely. Um, and, and other times there are just, just you know, um, failures of all, of all kinds. So... Um, yeah, it's it, it's it, we haven't got a system that's in good shape already, and yet and yet we're going ahead with these grand projects, mm. and we're mm. hopelessly out of time, unfortunately. Um, we are. But then again, we've had that sort of day, haven't we? We have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hopefully, we will get on the full show next week when it's uh, Energy Day. To the guest listener called saying, in his opinion, South uh, Yarra residents don't want a train station as they don't want riffraff coming into their suburb. Well, that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah. Well, actually, the local council is, is campaigning furiously to get a station. Even if, yeah. even, you know, even if they regard themselves as very much the opposite of riffraff. I lived there once when riffraff lived there. Yeah. We had <laughs> Not anymore, Kevin. That was, the anymore, anti- no. that was our anti-war uh, community there. <laughs> <laughs> In Chapel Street, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's another question. We have got to go. Joe will be bursting into the studio any second. But, John, thanks for coming in. Thanks for standing at the door with us waiting to get in. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most unusual show. <laughs> Th- thanks to Mark. Thanks to Emma for keeping us on air. And next week it's um, Energy Day and we're going to be hopefully talking about what, how electricity pricing works and why we're paying so much. Fantastic. Shall look forward to it. Okay.